Let's take our Bibles and let's turn to Psalm 23 this morning. Okay, so I thought what we would do with Psalm 23 is read through it together. And I'm reading in the New King James. So if you're not reading from the New King James, just speak softly. And, uh, <laughs> but if you want to read through that and you don't have one, the Pew Bible, it's 537 if you'd like to do that. But um, Psalm 23 is such a familiar psalm and uh, something that I thought would be cool if we just did it together, okay? So Psalm 23, a psalm of David. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, Henry Morris made this comment in his commentary. Psalm 23 is one of the first portions of scripture learned by Sunday school children and the last requested for deathbed reading by dying Christians. Isn't that pretty profound? Uh, how many times have you heard Psalm 23 at a memorial service? And, and rightfully so. The metaphor of a shepherd is used to describe God's care for his people, his sheep. And God is often referred to in scripture as a shepherd. Isaiah 40 verses 10 and 11 says this, Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arms shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work is before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young speaking about the care and concern that God has for his people. Also in Jeremiah, also in Ezekiel, Jeremiah 23, 3, I will gather the remnant of my flock. Ezekiel 34, 12, as a shepherd seeks out his flock, so will I seek out my sheep. So to the parable in Luke chapter 15 of the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go and find the one lost sheep. David himself was a shepherd. He knew the qualities of a shepherd, the same qualities that he saw in God. Protection, guidance, sustenance, refreshment, abundance, and simply overall care for his people. Notice how he says in verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. He doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd or the Lord is the shepherd but he said, the Lord is my shepherd. And because of that, he could say, I shall not want. In the New Living Translation, that's translated, I have all that I need. You know, if the Lord is my shepherd, I've got everything I need. In 1 Peter, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter one, verse three, it says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us 
by glory and virtue. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> The Lord is my shepherd. I've got everything that I need for life and to live a godly life as well. Notice in verses two and three, how the word he is repeated. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. This is David saying, this is all that God does for me right here. And as I take a look at this, I, I see in verse two, God's rest for his people. And I see God's peace for his people. The two kind of going together, rest and tranquility, if you will. Being able to lie down in green pastures, him making me lie down to be able to have that kind of rest. And I think about the busyness that we get in our lives. And sometimes it's just simply the, the striving in our life, uh, running the rat race, if you will, uh, just living a life that can be quite challenging at times. And I think of the peace, the rest that God offers each one of us. And what came to my mind was what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, when he gave the invitation, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest as we get tired of day after day after day. And I think about especially before I became a believer, I remember probably in my late teens or early 20s, I just thought there's gotta be more to life than this. And Jesus is the one that offers more. He's the one that gives us the meaning for life and, and a purpose to live. And doesn't that just bring peace and rest, if you will, into your life? Because his way of doing things, it, it, it's just easy, as he said. My yoke is easy. It fits his way of doing things. His burden is light. In the next phrase, he leads me beside the still waters. Uh, as I recall, the sheep, they didn't like the raging brooks. They wanted something that was still, not stagnant, but something that was still, that they could go and be able to get that well-needed drink. And I see both of these rest in peace in Psalm 4, verse 8 where it says, I will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And that's really the key. It's the Lord who gives us that peace and that ability to rest, even though there can be chaos going on in our lives all around us. And life does bring us those challenges where we do get kind of turned inside out and upside down and we need the Lord. And I know at memorial services, that's the main thing that I think for the living is to come close to the Lord to be able to receive what you need in that time, that peace, that rest, so that you can not just survive the coming days, but really ultimately to be able to thrive through them. In referring to the Lamb, Jesus, in the book of Revelation, concerning the martyrs in the tribulation, check this out as we speak about uh, the the, the rest and the still waters and so forth. It says in Revelation 7, 17, for the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You know, the, the point that I'm gonna get to in this is God can bring us comfort and he does bring us comfort here and now. But how many of you are so thankful that the day is coming where all of this is gonna be behind us, Yeah. 
we're going to be with the Lord and, and all of this, it, it won't be worthy to compare with the glory that shall be revealed. And that's really the hope so often, I think, that keeps us going, especially through the very difficult things that, that life can, in fact, bring us. As we make our way into verse 3, and this is one of the, the phrases that stuck out to me, he restores my soul. And I think of the restoration, I think primarily of the healing that God can bring into our lives during the time that we live right now. How many of you recognize that we can get really broken in this world? Our hearts can be really hurt. God is the one who can bring, to put us back together again. And this really has spoken to me throughout the years in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, where it says, but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. I noticed years ago that the letter that Peter wrote, 1 Peter, had so much to do with suffering. It's such a great letter to read when you are in the midst of suffering because of the, the reminder of God's goodness and God's care for you. And notice how he starts this. It's like the benediction at the end of the letter. May the God of all grace, th this is our God who extends such tremendous favor to each one of us. Notice he's called us as well. He, he's called us not just to eternity, but to his eternal glory, to be with him forever and ever in heaven, and it's all because of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the only reason that we have access to his presence. The only reason we have an entrance into heaven is because of Jesus, solely because of Jesus and what he has done for us, because he bore our judgment. We all deserve death. We all deserve to be separated from God's presence, but it's Jesus who came, and he's the one who bore our judgment paid that penalty in our place that we should pay. And notice he says, after you've suffered a while. And this world, this life is filled with suffering. The bottom does drop out. Our world does get turned upside down where some, some serious pain and heartache comes. But God is the one who can bring the restoration. He restores my soul. In these four words that we have at the end of 1 Peter 5.10, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. I wanna give you some of the definitions that I got out of Strong's Concordance and also Lao Nida's lexicon. And look at, look at how each one of these is, is very specific. The word perfect means to mend what has been broken. It's used in Matthew chapter four regarding the disciples mending their nets that have been broken but it also carries with it the idea of making one what he ought to be. How many of you realize that through the trials we go through, there, there's a change that takes place in our character, in our being, in who we are, and it makes us, it molds us. God's able to use the, the things that happen to us in this life, he's able to use those to make us into the men and women that he's always wanted us to be. He's mending those broken hearts, and he's forming and, and molding us into those people. The word establish, it means to make stable in your mind. 
In other words, stronger in the sense of more firm and unchanging in attitude or belief. And when I think about that, what takes place in a person's mind when they're, again, their world is turned upside down, the anxiety that goes through there, the concern. It reminds me of Philippians chapter four, where it speaks of the peace that passes all human understanding, guarding your heart and guarding your mind because you can be just so freaked out and worried about things that can happen. So right here, the idea of establishing the, the focus being upon that which is within the mind. Now the word strengthen, the focus there is on one's soul. The meaning of making persons more able to engage in or to undergo certain experiences. So you've got the mind and then you've got the soul, basically the entirety of your being. And again, this is God who is putting us back together again. He's mending the broken nets and he's taking care of the heartache in the mind. He's taking care of the ravaged soul, if you will. And then finally, the word settle literally means to lay the foundation. You know, we've been beat up through what takes place in our lives, but God comes and he puts us back together again to make us into the people that he wants us to be, healing our minds, healing the entirety of our being. And what does that do for us? It makes us more dependent upon him. We know he is our rescuer. He is the one who has come to put us back together again. And what does that do for us? It lays a strong foundation, doesn't it? It's like the man who built his house on the rock and the winds blew and the storms came, but that house stood because it was founded upon the rock. And that's what trials can do for us. Draw us closer to the Lord, more dependent upon the Lord so that we can stand when those difficult times come. So the Lord is my shepherd. He restores my soul. He leads me, it goes on to say, in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He's leading in the right path for his name's sake. When we do the right things, when we follow his lead, he's the one that's glorified. When we don't follow his lead, when we fall off into sin, his name is drugged through the mud. And I say that based on what we read in scripture. The children of Israel, Ezekiel chapter 36 is an example. They profane the name of God because of their unfaithfulness. They were taken into captivity and the mere fact that they were taken into captivity was profaning the name of God. They gave the enemies of God reason to blaspheme. And so as we proclaim the name of the Lord, and then we decide to go off into sin, it doesn't just damage our lives or destroy our families. It damages our witness and it damages the truth that we're trying to get out there of, of who God is and how his, his staying power is able to keep us all the way through. And so he leads, I think the key thing for us is to follow, you know? It's walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The Holy Spirit is leading, it's our choice. If we're gonna follow that lead or if we're gonna go off into sin, go off and do our own thing. He leads in the paths of righteousness. We need to be following after it. I think of Matthew 6, but says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Seek first of primary importance his kingdom, his ways. And in the context, the all things, it's the things that we need, food, clothing. He'll take care of everything else. Follow after him and it will be the best plan for our lives and it also will honor him and glorify him. So he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
And then verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I wanted to talk about two elements of this verse concerning death. The shadow of death, uh, in other places in the Bible, it speaks of the nearness of death or the danger that might come. And David was a man who was in danger a lot of his life. And so the idea there of God protecting me from those dangers that are there. And I wanted to speak just for a moment about that. Notice that it says, though I walk through the valley, not around the valley, but I walk through the valley. And God, he doesn't always take away the trouble that comes, but he's always there with us through it, isn't he? I thought about, and I didn't, I didn't write it down, but I thought about Isaiah 43, verse 2, that says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. God will be with us no matter what we go through. I, I also thought, and I know I'm mixing metaphors like crazy here, but, but I also thought about Peter. You know, the storms are raging and so forth, but he was able to walk upon the water. And so though we, the storm might not be removed, but God is able to, to lift us up so that we can walk above that because, in fact, he is with us. The second thing I wanted to talk about is death itself. I think one of the reasons this psalm is read at many memorial services is because it speaks of death right here. Uh, we're all going to walk through that valley, you know, should the Lord tarry. And what I mean by that, if the Lord doesn't come for his church first and remove us out of here, we're all, all going to pass from this life. And don't get me wrong, I, I am still till my deathbed. I'm still going to be hoping and trusting that he's going to return and take us out at the rapture of the church. It just reminded me of Les Levi when I went and visited him in the hospital. And he was such a pro-rapture, you know, pre-trib rapture person. And, and I remember there, and he knew he was dying. And we were, we were in his hospital room. And I said, well, Les, I, I guess the only semi-disappointment is you didn't get to go in the rapture. And he goes, well, there's still time. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's still time. But should he not come? Should he choose to tarry? And why would he tarry? Because he's patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I'm so glad he waited for me. But we'll all pass through that valley. And I think death is one of the things that, that humanity fears the most. And I think it's probably because of uncertainty. I had a friend years ago when I first became a Christian, he was not, and he, he told me, Steve, I just believe that when I die, I'm gonna go back to how I was before I was born. I didn't know anything then, I won't know anything after I'm dead. And I think a lot of people wanna believe that. I was at a point in my life where I wanted to believe that before I was a Christian, but I didn't have enough faith to believe it, you know? <laughs> I, I just didn't, there, there was something inside, and this is what I think it is. I think it's the Holy Spirit that Jesus said would be in the world convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. There is a certain knowing inside that there's a day of reckoning that's going to come. And I think that's what stirs within people. And I think that's probably what brings uh, quite a bit of fear, especially into somebody who is not a believer. But um, for the believer, 
I mean, let's think about it. How far off really is that? How much longer do we have? It's quite close, isn't it, for, for many of us? It's not that far down the road. And sometimes we can feel like, ah. And I think the reason we get the ah is because the unworthiness aspect of it. I, I know I'm saved by grace, but like in my life, you know, the, the things that I allow to, to go through my mind, the things that I allow to say, and I, I you know, there's that, that concern that, that we might have. And, and one of the things that I just wanted to encourage all of us with is that it's not about us, it's about Him. And we have to remember that all the way home it's his grace extended to us. This is one verse that jumped out to me a, a few years ago. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not resting our hope partially upon his favor, but fully upon the grace, because that's the only thing we have is his favor extended to us because none of us is worthy to, of heaven. And so he has made a way. And having said that, consider the lengths that God has gone to to save us, right? It's not like he just said, okay, well, I'll, I'll pardon you guys. You want, you can come on into heaven. Think of the lengths that he went to. He gave up his only son so that we can be forgiven. In Romans 8.32, it says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He gave up his son so that we could have the opportunity to be saved. How many of you know God is for us? He's not against us. And so it's trusting in Jesus as our savior. Does he want us to do good things? Absolutely. Is our entrance into heaven based on the good things we do? No, it's not. It's based on who he is and what he's done for us. And I say that just by means of, of encouragement, hopefully, because again, that, that valley is right down the road for a number of us here. And just to have your faith strong, not in you, but in him and how much he loves you and how he is the one that has made the way. You know, uh, logically, when we think of the entrance into heaven, it's all based on what keeps us out of heaven and that's sin. So logically speaking, he's dealt with the issue of sin and that's why we can go through. It's not because I became a Christian and now I've done my best. And so God says, okay, you can, it's what he's done. I've become a Christian and now the access is open for me to come. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 to 57. It says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. What makes death so painful is not the car accident you go through or anything like that or the cancer that's eating away at your body. What makes death so painful is the fact that a person would cross on the other side and they're left with their sin to be, a, to be left accountable for their sin. But notice it goes, and then of course the person might say, well, who says what's sin and what's not sin? God says what's sin and what's not sin. It's his world, it's his law. So as it goes on to say, the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He is the one that came and he bore the judgment at Calvary. He died to pay the penalty that we should all pay. And how is that applied to us? You're saved by grace through, through faith. It's us simply believing. And what does that look like? It means surrendering, doesn't it? It means going, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my master. The Lord is my shepherd. Yeah. So not the shepherd or a shepherd. And, and that's, you know, really what's implied here. Can you say that? The Lord is my shepherd. He's my Lord. He's my savior. And that's the key. So be comforted by that as we close in on that valley and walk through that, that he's made the way. And don't you know, he's able to bring you all the way, all the way home. He'll finish the work that he completed or he'll finish the work that he started and will complete it. Now, check this out. The, the he's in verses two and three, he makes me to lie down, he leads me beside. Notice how it's shifted to the you's here as we go into um, these verses. You are with me, your rod, your staff. You prepare a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. It's kind of neat to see that. The rod and the staff, some see that as the same instrument there. Uh, others, like Tyndale's commentary, sees the shepherd having a rod, which was a weapon of defense to drive off beasts of prey, and the staff being that that would simply guide the sheep, especially the wayward sheep that might be uh, getting off base. Uh, the metaphor, as some see it, shifts in verse five from that of a shepherd to that of a host, or maybe a shepherd who is a host, preparing a table, anointing the head, the cup running over. So preparing the great feast uh, as they would do in, in the Middle East, um, not culture, but climate is the oil. Like we put lotion on here in the desert because it gets so dry and the idea there. Uh, and, and just a sign as the guest comes in to anoint the head with oil and the overflowing cup, speaking of the abundance that is being given. And when I think about that, and I think, I think of all of this, the blessing that's being given to the person by the host, I think about what Jesus has done for us. And I think specifically more about what he said in John 10 when he spoke about the abundant life that he had to offer us. He says of the thief, he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but that he came that we may have life and that we may have it more abundantly. And so we've got eternal life, but how many of you know that quality of life starts right now when you accept Christ as your savior? And so an abundant life that you can have, and this is what spoke to me in this passage, in the presence of the enemy. Is there an enemy? Yeah, there is an enemy. There's a real spiritual enemy that's out there, but we still can enjoy an abundant life even though we have an enemy out there. You know why? Because the Lord is with us. He is the one that is able to protect us and see us through and give us that kind of quality of life here and now as we put our trust in him. Verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The word mercy is a key word that's used in the Old Testament for God's steadfast love, used over and over again. And Vine's Dictionary says of this word mercy, translated here, in general, one may identify three basic meanings of the word, which always interact, strength, steadfastness, and love. So that's God extending that toward us, a steadfastness, a strength, and 
of course, a love that really comes in, as it says, shall follow me. That's in the form, not just like, oh, I've got that kind of behind me somewhere. It's in the form where it's pursuing after. That's kind of neat, isn't it? I've got God's love pursuing after me, David is saying. So surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I wanna bring out one other thing, and this has kind of stuck out to me as I was going through it. The he's, the you's, and then notice in verse six, the me and the my. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Of these six verses, those two words are used 13 times. And so what is David saying? Well, the Lord, he's my shepherd. And because of that, this is all he does for me. (laughs) He loves the Lord. The Lord is good to him. It's all because of that. And all because really when we get down to it, it's all because of Jesus. I wanna close this with some New Testament passages where Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. How much does God love me? He sent his son Jesus to die where I should die. He is the good shepherd. In the benediction in Hebrews 13, the author says, now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you, check this out, complete. The word complete is the same word as perfect in 1 Peter 5.10. Remember what that was, the, the mending of the net, the making you the person, the man, the woman, the boy, the girl that, that God has always intended you to be. Herein is the benediction. Because of Jesus, may he make you complete in every good work to do his will. Yeah, leading in the path of righteousness, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. First Peter 2.25, Peter writes, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Your shepherd, the one who is watching out over you, making sure that you have what you need, all things that pertain to life and godliness, making sure that though the storms may come, he is there to give you the ability to rise up above the storm and be able to thrive through it. And then finally, Peter writing in 1 Peter chapter 5, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Amen. That's it. (laughs) As we finish this last song here, I want to encourage any of you, if you haven't yet trusted Jesus as your Savior, please come forward and pray with us. And that's the most important thing in all of life, is coming to Jesus. Jesus, I need you. I want you to be my shepherd. And then begin following him. He's got a plan for your life, and his plan is so much better than any plan that we could ever hope for. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't we go ahead and stand for this uh, closing word of prayer. Father, we want to thank you for the time we could spend in your word. Lord, we thank you for your goodness towards us. Lord, I do thank you that we can rest even as 
this dark valley approaches and we can rest because of you. And Lord, I do pray that in the remaining days, months, years that we have left, that Lord, that you would shine brightly through our lives. Help us to stay close to you. Help us to not be foolish. Help us to heed the warnings that you bring to us through your word by your spirit that you might work in and through us in the days that we have. Lord, we love you so much. And Father, I pray if there's any who are listening right now who have not trusted you, that they would just cry out to you, Lord, save me. And may they experience your peace, your love, oh God. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.